0: Some folks have their own interpretation of what a law means when applied to the flesh and blood world of humans, either because of a burst of creativity, misfiring synapses in their brains, or desire to gain a different outcome than one that would have been more commonplace or maybe just because they don't know how to use precedence and case law. This is known as pseudo-law, a weird place and thought space filled with gibberish and willful blindness pushed by charlatans who engage in what's sometimes known as paper terrorism and intellectual contortions that resemble magic rituals and mental illness more than actual jurisprudence. And pseudo Law has spread some pretty wild notions. Like, taxes are illegal. There's a secret stash of money created when you're born that the government uses to enrich itself, but if you know how to game the system, you can get at that money. Juries are inherently illegal because they do not swear to uphold the Constitution, and if you never use lowercase letters when writing your name, then you are not bound by any legalities. This is just the tip of the iceberg of the convoluted world where nonsense is packaged as a genuine article and the conspiracy-minded hop on the cuckoo train, all wearing a Biba shoe While they're claiming they're really wearing Adidas shoes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse Pseudo Law, -law. Cabbages Cabbages and and kings. Kings. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast and if you like what we do, donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Conspiracy Clearinghouse, the podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. House made of, made straw, of straw, men. men. law is a series of beliefs, statements, and practices that claim to use accepted law as their foundation, but which have some pretty idiosyncratic interpretations of what exactly the law is, and sometimes it just makes up legal principles out of thin air. A lot of it comes from ideas about common law that really have no connection to law as it's wielded by society today. But when gussied up in what proponents think seems like legalese, well, it all sounds pretty good to them. Often people in this mind world don't use actual lawyers, and some even send away for what are called kits, collections of arguments and documents and references that hucksters known in this world as gurus sell to the unsuspecting. These gurus also sell video lectures, give talks for a fee, write books, and make lots of videos on YouTube. Though the origins of pseudo-law are murky, it was certainly around in 1930s Canada, questioning whether the government there actually had the right to collect taxes from its citizens. Then an electronics store owner named Gerald Wittuars Hart created what he called the Hart System of Effective Tax Avoidance in the 1950s, which he documented extensively. For example, he would fill out tax forms with entries like nil, or not computed, and no reserves, but then supply no supporting documentation. Basically, when the tax office asked how much money did your business make last year, he replied, nothing really, and then he thought that just kind of put the matter to rest. He also would not sign his name on his tax returns. Naturally, he got in legal trouble, so he changed tactics. He claimed that the federal Canadian government did not actually have the authority to pass the 1917 Income Tax Act, and so therefore the whole tax scheme was invalid. Tax avoiders in the great white north continue to use his arguments to this day when they don't want to pay the taxman. Such people are known as de-taxers. Hart's inspiration at least partly came from pamphlets, published in the 1940s that the Canadian Constitution itself has major flaws in it and the division of powers between the various branches of government were never clearly defined, and so therefore the government technically doesn't exist. Further south, the whole detax tax thing didn't get much traction in the U.S. until the farm crisis of the 1980s. Roger Elvick, a farmer from North Dakota, developed what came to be known as the Redemption Movement. This is not to be confused with the actual legal concept of the right of redemption, in which you can buy back property that has been foreclosed on if you pay the balance of the debt or match the current market selling price. This redemption movement alleges that whenever a citizen is born in America, the government sets up a secret treasury fund for that individual in the amount of somewhere between $600,000 and $20 million, depending on which guru you talk to, and that there are hard to find mechanisms for people to claim this money as their own. But most people don't, and the government just uses the interest accrued on this sum to enrich itself. Basically, redemption movement people use what's known as the straw man theory, which purports that for every flesh and blood person in the United States, there is another strictly legal entity associated with them. This paper-only person is the straw man, and that entity is the one who is actually responsible for any debts, liabilities, taxes, and other legal responsibilities incurred by the Homo sapiens sapiens counterpart. Adherents say the proof is right there on your birth certificate. You see, in many states they spell a newborn's name in all capital letters, but in many other places a person's name is written in a combination of upper and lower case letters using the English rules of capitalization. So the name that uses both types of letters is the actual human's name, but the all caps name is just a legal entity, the straw man. You will notice as you grow up and move into the world that includes the law that your name is often written in official documents in all caps, like your driver's license, your car registration, criminal records, many household bills, and yes, your tax records. So all those documents don't actually refer to or belong to you, they belong to your straw man. When, for example, buying property, all legal responsibilities and debts fall on the legal fiction version of themselves, while the actual physical ownership and occupation of said land is on the physical person. After all, how can documents occupy land. This is a clear case of wishful thinking akin to a child playing hide-and-seek and thinking that if they cover their eyes, they're invisible. In the actual legal world, there are in fact two kinds of people. There's what's called a natural person, which is a living, breathing, individual human being, Erica McGillicuddy, and a judicial or legal person, which can be a legal entity like a business, the McGillicuddy Software Company, or a charity, the McGillicuddy Foundation, that can do certain things like lease or buy property, enter into contracts, sue and be sued, and so on. People who follow the straw man argument have taken this very real idea and turned it into a weird version of Jordan Peele's 2019 horror film, us, where we each have a double that is connected to us, but in their version, it's a paper one. Incidentally, some Canadians have got wind of this American innovation, and they also use it. So straw manners say that it is their capital letter legal self that is responsible for adhering to laws and settling debts. The human being version is not. So even when you break a law and are caught and have to go to court, you are there standing in for the straw man, not for yourself. But legally, they can't actually imprison you. In fact, they can't make you do anything you don't want to at all. Strawmanners will fill out legal documents using all capital letters in their minds pushing the responsibility onto their paper counterpart. Others will use red ink, sometimes green ink also, claiming that that also absolves them of any responsibilities in the document. Still others add in weird colons and commas and other punctuation in their names like Henry hyphen James colon Sanders comma instead of just Henry Sanders. Some will rub ink on their fingers and then fingerprint the documents to show the legal authorities that this was signed by a real person and not a paper one who can't sign anything. Presumably, they do this for things that they actually want. Hardcore straw manners will try to get prison convictions overturned using some of these arguments and tactics. A serial tax evader in Canada named David Lindsay tried to claim in 2010 that his 2008 conviction for not filing taxes for five years should be thrown out because he had renounced personhood back in 1996 and so therefore he had no legal obligations of any kind. That same year, another guy tried to get his kidnapping conviction overturned by using the capital letters argument in his documents. Both cases were naturally tossed out. There are plenty of other examples of people trying to weasel out of the consequences of their actions by claiming that it's all the amorphous legal entities' problem.
1: Red Red Dead dead Redemption Redemption Movement
0: movement. The Redemption Movement comes out of the earlier Posse Comitatus Movement, which was started in 1969 in Portland, Oregon, by Henry Lamont Beach, who'd been a dry cleaner. Oh, he was also a member of the pro-Nazi group, the Silver Shirts, which was formed in the United States after Nazi Germany lost World War II. Others also say William Potter Gale, a member of the Aryan Nations, is also one of the founders. The whole thing is a very far-right movement based on Christian identity ideas which say that Celtic and Germanic people are the actual Israelites mentioned in the Bible, and these Jews are usurpers who are working with Satan to destroy civilization because that would benefit them somehow. And two of the tools that these satanic Jews use are the Federal Reserve Bank and the IRS. The posse said any governmental grouping larger than county level was illegitimate and the county sheriff should be the highest legal authority in any given territory, who, if they did something wrong, would be taken, quote, to the most populated intersection of streets in the township and at high noon be hung by the neck, the body remaining until sundown as an example to those who would subvert the law. Charming. And yes, the Jews are all over the place. In 1985, one posse member said the U.S. had finally totally been taken over by world jewelry who now controlled all levels of society, which is an interesting thing for a Republican to say smack dab in the middle of Ronald Reagan's stint as president. And of course, naturally, these people don't like paying taxes. Most members of the posse simply refuse to ever do it. They also do not get driver's licenses, though they drive anyway, and they say U.S. currency is not valid because it's no longer backed by gold. Now, the posse is more than just ha-ha, aren't they foolish. In 1976, an armed posse of posse folks got into a confrontation with union organizers for tomato pickers in Southern California. Just afterwards, a sheriff pulled one of them over for reckless driving, probably he was all pumped up on machismo, resulting in shots fired. A few years later, a whole bunch of posse comatitas people flooded Alpine County in California, just south of Lake Tahoe, and basically tried to take it over. They probably thought this would be easy since it's the least populous county in the whole state, with only 1,200 people in it today and fewer back then. In local elections, they swarmed the ballot with their candidates, which is perfectly legal, but they also registered fictitious voters, which is not. Their candidate for sheriff won, but then an investigation into possible voter fraud resulted in the former sheriff being reinstated and six people arrested They then tried the same thing in Tigerton, Wisconsin in the early 1980s, but by now government officials were onto them and cracked down, ending with many of the local posse leaders arrested and eventually imprisoned. In 1983, posse member Gordon Call killed two federal marshals who had come to get him on his North Dakota property for failing to file taxes for five years. A similar fatal gun exchange between a posse member and a sheriff in Arkansas occurred later that year. And as recently as 2012, two sheriffs were killed and another two wounded in a shootout with posse members in Louisiana. So, those are the guys who are the inspiration for the redemption movement, folks. In addition to these spurious straw man tactics, they say there's a way for the physical person to claim monies that have accrued in the name of their straw man. They have a number of tactics they try. They file paperwork claiming the straw man is a debtor to them and so needs to pay up, or they claim their birth certificates are actually legally bonds and so the money that the straw man holds is in fact a form of loan that the real person is giving the legal entity. Some claim copyright on their names, which you can't do. Since Americans still use paper checks, they often pay bills with checks not issued by the bank but that they have designed and printed themselves, saying that the money to pay the check should come from the straw man account. Or when they get a bill, they simply write Treasury direct account on it and then sign it with their social security number. Or they just don't pay the bills at all, scrawling accepted for value or taken for value across the bill and sending it back. Some claim something called the right to silence, which is a real thing, that guarantees that citizens have the right to refuse to answer questions from law enforcement and court officials. Incidentally, next time a cop tells you that you are required to answer their questions, you should know that they are wrong. You do not have to. But redemptioners think that this right to silence also means that you can simply not pay your bills by refusing to respond and that that's perfectly legal. They also think that if they write all their correspondence in red ink, then they are not liable for anything agreed upon. This is because it is common practice to cancel a bond by using red ink. So if they use red ink for everything, then it automatically cancels legal obligations. And why red? Because it is the color of real people who have red blood. Mmm. Another posse offshoot was the innocuously named family farm preservation who say they are Christians, but not a religious organization. Their goal is to reset American society, quote, just as it was after the Revolutionary War. They claim all lawyers are illegitimate because the Bar Association was created by the British monarchy, and so any and all legal results that have come about that involved lawyers, aka all of them, are actually invalid. Also, most government offices are illegitimate. Oh, and so are property taxes. They also do things like write pseudo-checks where they write fractional reserve note instead of numbers in order to, quote, pay the bill. This was a non-payment tactic used by Terry Nichols, who was a buddy of Timothy McVeigh's. Another spinoff is the Montana Freeman Movement, a very militant Christian patriot group based in Jordan, Montana, which they have renamed Justice Township but nobody officially recognizes that name. They declared it to be wholly under their jurisdiction. They thought only individuals have rights and authority, not groups and certainly not governments. Their fake checks and money orders were quite realistic looking and they'd use them to overpay for goods and services and then demand refunds. Usually they were trying to buy weapons and other military equipment. In just one incident in 1995 to the tune of $1.4 million. Members also engaged in blackmail, several kinds of fraud, outright theft, threats against public officials and once the armed robbery of a TV news crew. In 1996, when a farm in Justice Township was being foreclosed on, the Freeman refused to leave. Instead, they held mock trials of local officials attempting to enforce the actual law, including issuing an execution order for a federal judge. The FBI infiltrated them and two arrests were made but while attempting to nab the other eight people on the farm, an armed standoff developed that went on for 81 days. Fortunately, it ended without incident, and the eight freemen involved were tried and sentenced to between one and twenty-two years, depending on several factors. One of them, Daniel Peterson, originally got fifteen years, but then, while serving time, claimed that he had created a company that held one hundred trillion dollars in assets, which would make it the richest company in the world by far, a claim he said was backed up by a judgment against the U.S. government. He sold shares in this company to his fellow inmates. When some of them started clamoring for the profits he promised, he then sent documents to Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, demanding that the federal government pay the $100 trillion he said they owed his non-existent company, plus a billion dollars a day in interest as payment for his illegal incarceration. Please note that the U.S. government was assessed in 2021 as having only $7.3 trillion in assets, not to mention the whole deficit spending thing, so it would have been impossible no matter what. No surprise, he was ignored by the State Department, so he decided to file liens against three federal judges, including the one who sentenced him, offering bounties to the public for anyone who wanted to citizens arrest those three judges. He didn't manage to get any money out of the government, but he did get another 10 years tacked on to his prison sentence. Stillness Becomes a Radiance that lovely quote is from a June 23, 2021 tweet by Morgan Freeman. And speaking of Freeman, there's the FOTL or Freeman of the Land movement. Yes, I know that's a tenuous connection, but tough beans. Freeman of the Land have a buffet approach to the law. They are bound by laws that they agree to be bound to and not bound by laws that they choose not to be. The only real law is their interpretation of common law, and that varies from person to person in the movement, which of course is total chaos for a society. Oh, and by the way, unsurprisingly, they really don't like paying taxes. This also started in Canada in the 1960s and has since spread to most Commonwealth countries. And frankly, I'm glad to find out that there's some cuckoo stuff up in Canada. I was beginning to think that that whole country was just imminently reasonable. Some freemen-of-the-land ideas sprinkled down to the U.S. who then supersized them and then repollinated Canadian FOTL circles. In the 21st century, the rhetoric tends towards the idea that governments are in fact corporations and as such have no authority over citizens. FOTL has gone more left-wing, politically, supporting environmentalism and marijuana legalization, among other liberal pet projects. A lot of this modern incarnation comes from Canadian construction worker and stand-up comedian Robert Arthur Mead, who has created an ecosystem of affiliated online forums, videos, and free e-books. His interest in pseudo law developed when he was in a custody battle about his rights via via a child he had with a teenaged woman. The age of consent in Canada is 16. He started using the argument that birth documentation is actually a control device created by the government. He then started creating materials to help people become what he called freeloaders on the land, meaning that they could benefit from Canadian services and infrastructure without having to legally contribute in any way. Sort of a postmodern hippie idea. A lot of heads, if you know what I mean, became interested in this, as did various Canadian crime organizations. Yes, Canadians have crime organizations who thought that they saw some arguments that they could use in court whenever they got caught. And some New Agers also liked some of these ideas, and so you had this kind of interesting blend. Back in the motherland of the United Kingdom, FOTO ideas morphed into something called legal name fraud, which said that actually all names are owned by the crown, and so to use a name, you need legal written permission from the crown. Without that permission, any contracts and so on entered into using that name are invalid because you actually didn't have the right to use that name in the first place. Also, there should be fewer immigrants in the UK and the EU is really bad. Well, I guess they won that round. They also push a notion called lawful rebellion, which says, All you have to do as a UK citizen is write a letter to the Queen that invokes Clause 61 of the Magna Carta, which allows you to negate the authority of the monarch and by extension the government over you. However, Clause 61 actually says that if 25 barons get together and agree, they can restrict the monarch's powers, but not individual citizens can do this. But, you know, hey, reading is hard. But Canada remains the epicenter of 21st century FOTL activity. Though the movement, if any of these loosely affiliated groups can be called movements, claims 30,000 adherents, official estimates are more like around between five and 10,000. But as we know from social media, a very loud few can make one hell of a noise. Just a handful of these folks have been termed vexatious litigants by Associate Chief Justice John D. Rook, the man who also coined the term Organized Pseudo-Legal Commercial Arguments, or OPCA, opca, to cover all the pseudo-legal tactics used by various people in various movements. A 2019 paper titled Anti Authority and Militia Movements in Canada that appeared in the Journal of Intelligence, Conflict and Warfare lists nine different types of classes of Canadian FOTLers. 1. Fanatics, who are absolute true believers, essentially living in an alternate mental reality from the rest of us and very possibly mentally ill. 2. Conspiracy theorists, who blame outside sources for their own troubles. 3. Escapists, who really just don't like people and don't want to be around them four opportunists who maybe see a way to get out from under debt or some other financial troubles or get out of legal trouble like getting a fraud conviction overturned five sympathizers who find some crossover with FOTL ideas or pursuing their own separate anti-government agendas and yet these people still pay their taxes Six, the committed, who are in for a Canadian penny, in for a Canadian dollar, making FOTL a or the main focus of their lives. Seven, violent extremists for whom pseudo-legal arguments are just the starting point and not nearly enough. Eight, entrepreneurs who see FOTL as a way to get money for nothing and or to help out fellow travelers for a price and nine, the gurus, who are the top bananas of the whole thing. Because freemen of the land say that government is really just another type of corporation, any interactions between government, Inc. and a citizen must be contractual. So, for example, if Margaret MacArthur, born and raised in Victoria, has never explicitly agreed in writing with the government that she must pay taxes, then she doesn't have to pay taxes. Wow, how easy was that? This goes for bills and other debts as well. You just write no contract return to sender on say your electric bill and then you send it back unpaid. Of course eventually the power company will turn the electricity off but you know I have have my my rights. rights. When they do want something FOTLers think they have found a legal loophole. They send the queen who is nominally still the head of all commonwealth country governments and the prime minister a letter saying what it is that they are claiming like say a parcel of land starting with the words quote whereas it is my understanding and ending by saying they understand what the law says for example that mcgovern park in this city is owned by the city for example but they do not consent to that interpretation and so therefore they can claim that park as their own private property They also used this to get out of paying bills and taxes, heeding court summonses, refusing to register their newborn children, not paying for insurance, illegally growing cannabis plants, and so on. A group of Texans got inspired by their neighbors to the north and formed the Guardians of the Free Republics. This was started by radio talk show host Sam Kennedy, whose real name is Glenn Richard Unger, and a British conspiracy guy from California named Clive Bostred. And one day in 2010, they sent out a mass email saying they had a plan to, quote, end economic warfare and political terror by March 31st, 2010. On that day, they sent letters to all 50 U.S. state governors, giving them notice that they had to leave office within three days, ask the public for forgiveness, and then they, the guardians of the free republics, would reinstate them as governor. Needless to say, this did not happen. Three years later, the IRS got Kennedy slash Unger for filing false documents when he claimed over $36 million in refunds. He was sentenced to just over eight years for that, but ended up only serving five. Another one of the top people in the group, Samuel Lynn Davis, ended up pleading guilty to 31 counts of money laundering amounting to almost $1.3 million dollars. He was sentenced to four years and nine months, but while on bail, he went on the run. Eventually, he was caught and went to jail until 2017. Extra time added for running. Confidence, Confidence born, born of, ignorance. of ignorance. The cycle, the cycle cannot, cycle cannot be, broken. be broken. That's a quote from Sovereign, the big bad for the Reapers in the video game series Mass Effect 1-3. through I use that because we need now to talk about the Sovereign Citizen Movement or Sovsit Movement or even sometimes just Sovsits. My first encounter with something like the concept of a sovereign citizen was a hyperbolized version of Neal Stephenson's seminal cyberpunk novel Snow Crash, which has the U.S. broken up into a series of franchise states, each with their own laws and various branches in various physical locations, like try and imagine every time you entered a McDonald's, you're actually entering a different country, but all McDonald's are part of the same country. There's one character running around in the scene that has been legally declared a sovereign, meaning he is a nation unto himself, and everywhere he goes, plus three feet around him, is his sovereign territory. Also, he has a nuclear device implanted in his body as a deterrent, so if he is ever killed, he would explode, killing everybody around him. But the sovereign citizen movement is the American take on the radical racist movements of the 60s and 70s taking most of their inspiration from the aforementioned posse comatitis people, who are kind of the ground zero for a lot of this. Sovsits take a lot of things from other movements on board as well, the notion that currency is not legitimate, that there are legal doppelgangers who have to take the blame for everything their human counterpart does, lots of ideas about what constitutes a citizen, and of course, that collecting taxes is illegal. They use selected quotes from the U.S. Constitution, the Articles of Confederation, the Magna Carta, the Uniform Commercial Code, an outdated version of Black's Law Dictionary, the Bible, and passages from other legal documents from other countries that they think can make their case. Again, county sheriffs are the highest legal authority in the land, and the movement is rife with gurus who make a tidy profit from their followers and who are probably not paying taxes on those profits. The main thing is the idea of each person being a sovereign citizen. After all, God made the world, God made people, so that's legitimate, but people made government, so government is not legitimate. A government is just another type of corporation, and like some of those Canadians, they think that if there's no explicit contract regarding rights, behaviors, and obligations, then pretty much anything goes. No consent, no obligations, a form of you gotta pay to play. So if a police officer wants to detain you, you simply have to say, I do not consent, and you're legally free to go. Why go out and try it? See how it goes for you. But those sneaky gov corps have found a way to rope unsuspecting people who don't know the truth into submitting to their fake authority. Well, sovereigns have found a number of clever ways to counteract that. One way is by setting up their own extra-legal court system, which are used mainly to quote-unquote legitimize a person's asseveration A term that means to make an emphatic statement, but which sovereigns think means declaring yourself officially unbound by normally recognized legal constraints. So you just go to one of these non-court court court systems, tell them that you are declaring yourself sovereign. They say, okay, and then that's it. Who knew it could be so easy? These courts also sometimes convene to vent spleen on somebody or another, trying them in absentia, and sometimes even sentencing the not-present person to death for treason. Fortunately for them, nothing has ever come of that. Are you a sovereign who doesn't want to pay a bill? You just write the words accepted for value on the bill and send it back and the government has no choice but to pay it out of the secret treasury account they set up for you when you were born in a legal dispute about something, owe somebody money, point out that money isn't real since the U.S. went off the gold standard in 1933, and therefore no debt. What all this means, they say, is that the real law of the land is commercial law, which sovereigns think is the same thing as admiralty law, which it isn't. One proof for this, they say, is that naval flags all have gold fringe and many federal courthouses. All also use gold fringe to decorate their flags, which indicate that they actually operate under admiralty law because of a decorative element. They also note that birth certificates use things like bond paper and watermarks or apostille stamps, which are also used by the Navy. More proof. And admiralty law applies to vessels at sea, not to people on the land. And so it is invalid. (laughs) So (laughs) So, so easy. easy. Sovereigns often eschew getting a driver's license, since they don't recognize the state's authority to issue one, and also license plates and car registration. So instead, they drive anyway. And if they're pulled over, they tell the police officer they are traveling, not driving, because they say the word driving is used only when someone is operating in a vehicle carrying commercial goods or carrying paying passengers. But the law enshrines the right of people to, quote, travel. Which is true, but what they neglect to notice is that the right to travel refers to walking, bicycle riding, and horseback riding not to motorized vehicles because those are complicated and require specialized training and thus licensing. And this interpretation of the right to travel has been upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm pretty sure that these people end up getting tickets anyway, but of course, they just ignore them because they don't recognize the policeman's authority. Another thing they'll do, both verbally and in writing, is use something they call negative averment. This is turning all statements into questions, which then shifts the burden of truth back on the opponent, like, hey, did you eat all the cake, Bob? But Bob, who's a sovereign, just says, I ate all the cake, and so therefore, he didn't legally admit to anything. They also do the whole red ink thing and the capital letters thing, and they write names with weird punctuation. They also think if they add the Latin phrase "sur juris on documents, which means of one's own right, it reinforces their claim that they are sovereign and independent from accepted law. They also use something called truth language, which is an oddly restrictive set of rules for documentation that they think somehow gets them off the hook for things like taxes and jury duty. Truth language seems to come from a Wisconsin tool and die welder named David Wynn Miller, a man with an idiosyncratic relationship to the concept of truth. In the 1980s while he was getting divorced he found the legalese he had to wade through to be very hard to follow which it is that's why we need lawyers but he didn't want one and he tried to do it himself and maybe all that complicated legal language just broke his brain or maybe he just saw an opportunity at any rate he declared that legal language really is just flimflammery used to enslave people and it's easy to hack it he should know of course because he is a mathematical genius In 1988, he developed what he called Correct Sentence Structure Communication Parse Syntax Grammar, which he acronymed to the super-catchy CSSCPSG, but later he called it other things, including quantum language, syntax language, and truth language. Some of his rules include, all sentences should begin with for, F-O-R. You should repeat the combination for the and with the throughout anything that you're writing as often as possible. You should use more nouns than verbs because nouns represent static, unchanging objects, which of course they don't always like, I don't know, the word justice. Nouns should always have a preposition before them, but for names, you can use a colon instead. This indicates that you are not the legal fiction straw man version of yourself, but an actual living, breathing person that exists in the now time dimension, and so therefore, you are not taxable. If you must use a verb, which you really should just try and avoid anyway, it needs to be in gerund form, ing ending, which turns it into a kind of a verb noun. You must never use adjectives. Instead, you use compound nouns with hyphens. So like you wouldn't say a large city, you would write in all caps one hyphen size hyphen extremity hyphen conurbation. Also, never use adverbs or pronouns. Sentences must be a minimum of 13 words in length. I don't know why. And a word that starts with a vowel but is then followed by two consonants actually voids a contract. I guess like the word allocation. Simply putting the word allocation in a contract would render it null and void. Because magic. He also has a lot of other punctuation rules which frankly I don't get. (laughs) Here is an example of some of his instruction on that topic written in all caps. Location tildes with the meanings and uses of the communications with the full colon of the positional lodial fact phrase, with the fact slash known term of the positional lodial fact phrase, and with the void of the nom de gur equals dead person. What? This and other choice tidbits can be found on his website, which is nearly impossible. To read and understand you will note on his website he calls himself a judge because he just decided he was a judge one day after all he's a sovereign he can do what he wants keep in mind making up tall tales is second nature to mr Colin miller as he writes his name he used to tell people about how back when he was 25 years old he went to a doctor for a simple operation but the dumb korean doctor mixed his chart up with somebody else's and ended up taking out both of his kidneys and his adrenal glands He died on the operating table but later when the coroner was just about to perform his autopsy he spontaneously came back to life after that his iq was over 200 his endorphin levels six times normal levels and he stopped aging entirely he doesn't mention whether or not his kidneys grew back in addition to judge he also calls himself postmaster This is because he thought that the highest authority in the world is actually the Universal Postal Authority, a Swiss agency started in 1874 but is now part of the United Nations that helps coordinate postal policies among all countries. He had learned, using his abnormally high IQ, that you can change the authority a piece of paper is governed under simply by putting a stamp on the document. So, if you're signing a rental agreement in the U.S., but you'd like it to actually be valid only under Australian law, then you just put an Australian stamp on it. Frankly, I think he read Thomas Pynchon's incredible 1965 conspiracy novel, The Crying of Lot 49, while high and later then thought he'd actually read an encyclopedia entry. Oh, he also believed that laws are based on naval legal structures because, quote, Earth is a vessel in the sea of space. He was also into UFOs, chemtrails, the anti-vaccine movement, and alternative medicines, which he sold for very high prices through his website. He said the company MasterCard took over the entire American economy on September 17, 1999, that the 9-11 attacks in 2001 were done using plastic explosives that somehow created an EMP pulse to cover up an electronics theft equaling over $12 trillion. Later, he became a big fan of 2012 apocalypse paranoias, which we talked about in a previous episode. David Wynn Miller was one of the great modern American loons. He died in 2019 at the age of 70, just eight months before COVID-19 broke out. I can only imagine what he would have made of that. So anyway, his crazy truth language is used by some sovereigns, usually when they're trying to get out of paying taxes, mortgages, bank loans, and bills, or get out of jury duty or answer a court summons. You'd be amazed at how many court summonses these people get. Another huge part of the subsit movement is trying to get at that secret money the Treasury Department has. One way, they think, is to use Form 1099-OID. This is an IRS form called an original issue document that's used for reporting income from bonds or CDs that have come to maturity. Well, the bond that has come to maturity here is the secret account that the Treasury has set up for you. So, I'm claiming it. Of course, submitting that form would also alert the IRS to your existence and they would probably note that you have not filed taxes in X years and take action. Maybe that's why these people get in so much legal trouble. Another tactic is to use the UCC1 statement. This Uniform Commercial Code legal notice is used by creditors to declare their right to get the property of debtors who default on business loans. It lists which property or possessions can be seized in case of default and in which order. But sovereigns think that once they've gone through the process of what they call redemption, which is separating themselves from the paper straw man version of themselves, often by going in front of one of these fake common law courts, they then file a UCC one against that corporate self that they're separated from that has that treasury direct account. And so therefore the treasury department has to give up the money. It's so easy. To date, of course, there have been exactly zero cases where any of this has worked. The main reason, of course, being that, drum roll, drum roll please, please, there is no secret treasury account set up and managed by the government for you when you were born. None at all. No soup for you, as Seinfeld's Soup Nazi might have said. A race, a race to, race the, to the, bottom. the bottom. It's all very weird and amusing and a little bit sad, except... When it's worse than that one thing to keep in mind is a lot of this stuff was started by white supremacists one of the key founders of posse comitatus william potter gale mentioned earlier was an aryan nation guy and deeply involved in the christian identity movement many of the other splinter ideologies also have racist roots and a lot of it ties into far-right tax-hating agenda 21 nonsense which was also talked about in a previous episode And yet, plenty of non-Caucasians also like the sound of some of this sovereign citizen stuff, especially some free money. Some members of the Moorish Science Temple of America and the Moorish Orthodox Church of America have declared themselves sovereigns, stating the U.S. government ceased to legally exist after the Civil War. The final nail in that coffin was when they went off the gold standard in 1933. Some of these groups also say that black people are the original indigenous people in North America, and all these quote-unquote Native Americans are imposters. Many of these folks also use that crazy quantum truth grammar stuff, and one adherent tried to pay a court fine by using silver coins he'd had minted himself because he claimed U.S. currency has no legal value. It did not go well for him. One adherent of this train of thought occupied a vacant house in New Jersey and then declared that the house was now under the jurisdiction of the al moroccan Empire, which is a purely conceptual state consisting of all black people wherever they are. Which sounds funny, but there have been more violent incidents, and many of these groups have been classified as violent extremist hate groups. A lot of conspiracy-minded people latch onto this aspect or that of the sovereign tax-hating movements like plenty of QAnoners. In fact, some of these groups are telling fellow cures that when Child Protective Services removes their children because of abuse and neglect and so forth, that the governmental agency is actually engaged in child trafficking and the parents need to locate where their children have been placed and rescue them, which means kidnap them. Anti-vaxxers also seem to align with these pseudo-legal ideas quite nicely with many gurus selling all sorts of quack cures, some of which are actually dangerous. Several violent incidents have been linked to the sovereign citizen movement, namely Timothy McVeigh's 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, armed standoffs in Abbeville, South Carolina in 2003 and Bunkerville, Nevada in 2014, and another one in Wakefield, Massachusetts in 2021, and actual shootings in West Memphis in 2010, Baton Rouge in 2016, and a Waffle House in Nashville in 2018. In 2016, there was also the nine-day occupation of Oregon's Malheur National Wildlife Refuge by far-right extremists led by the guy who also led the 2014 Nevada standoff. And this stuff spreads. You can now find variations of the theme in the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, and obviously Canada, but also in non-English-speaking countries. In Italy, there's a sovereign kingdom of Gaia movement who says its members can declare themselves citizens of the earth and then not have to adhere to Italian law. This is reminiscent of the Embassy of Heaven people in Staten, Oregon, run by a guy who calls himself Pastor Paul Revere, but who is actually computer systems analyst Craig Douglas Fleshman, who claim that they are citizens of heaven and so therefore don't have to follow any secular laws. A group of people in France trying to buy some land, which they were going to call One Nation, which would have its own laws separate from the French ones. A group of Donald Trump fans in Germany thought he would end the fiction of Germany, which was really just a series of interlocking corporations set up by the Allies after World War II, and bring back the Reich. Some Austrians decided they were going to form their own independent legal system and started off innocuously enough by simply issuing their own driver's licenses and car license plates, but ended with their leader sending a communication to the Austrian armed forces to overthrow the government, and he asked Vladimir Putin to help. That's called treason. Oh, and speaking of Russia, there's the Union of Slavic Forces of Russia, who maintain that technically the Soviet Union still exists as a legal entity and that they are citizens of that, not the current Russian Federation. The Russian Federation is actually controlled by the U.S., maintained as an offshore company registered in the state of Delaware. They also claim HIV is a hoax, and one of their leaders once tried to pay for the nicest suite at the Radisson Royal Hotel in Moscow with promissory notes that he'd created, and he also tried to take out $24,000 in bank loans under the name Jesus Christ, claiming Jesus was coming back next year and he would pay the debt when he returned. That guy has since been institutionalized and diagnosed with paranoid syndrome. The Union of Slavic Forces of Russia has since fractured, with several splinter groups all claiming that they are the real one, which sounds, yes, a bit like Monty Python's Life of Brian. Almost all of them engage in bribery, extortion, and blackmail schemes. Because they are actually, drum roll roll, please, 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 please. criminals. criminals! Loons, scammers, criminals, the misguided, the paranoid, misanthropes, or cult fodder. There are plenty of folks who buy into one version or another of these pseudo-law concepts. In the U.S., it's estimated there are 300,000 people in the loosely formed sovereign citizen movement alone. Add in the remnants of the Posse Comitatus, Redemption Movement folks, and all those who melt down about Agendas 21 and 2030 and the Great Reset, and you've comfortably got at least half a million of such people in the United States and probably more. And boy, do they love filing lawsuits and documents in droves. Like the Republic of Texas group, who in the late 1990s swarmed government offices in an attempt to overwhelm the court systems and shut it down with hundreds and hundreds of spurious, bizarrely worded legal claims that Texas is actually an independent republic. A 2018 paper by Donald Natalitsky of the Alberta Court of Queens Bench in Canada is titled, A Pathogen Astride the Minds of Men. The Epidemiological History of Pseudo-Law, and another paper he wrote is titled A Rebellion of Furious Paper. I think those kind of just say it all, really. While the pseudo-law memeplex is a magnet for people who feel confused or disenfranchised by the modern world, and especially by people who have, through their own actions, run afoul of the law and would like to find a way to weasel out of the trouble they now find themselves in, and they will sometimes go to great extremes, such as Winston Shrout, a sovereign movement guru who claimed in court that he was, quote, Earth delegate to the Interdimensional Galactic round table and also, quote, a sixth dimensional interplanetary diplomat. He also told the court that he was working with the Queen of the Fairies to relocate the Prime Meridian. He has clearly taken a page out of King Louis XIV of France who once said, quote, It is legal because I wish it. Pseudo Law is not just amusing and harmless. Many of the people who get sucked in are perhaps not terribly stable, and many of those who promote this stuff are either crazy would-be cult leaders or shameless opportunists bilking people out of their money. Just a cursory dive into the guru scene will reveal lots and lots of convictions, not just for tax evasion, but racketeering, fraud, and the like. Canada's Associate Chief Justice John D. Rook makes special mention of the gurus in his comments in various cases, who he compares to medieval alchemists selling their nonsense under a cloak of complicated language and Byzantine logic. They are postmodern snake oil salesmen, parasites preying on the vulnerable. Getting on the wrong side of the judicial apparatus is problematic enough without all this extra crap piled on top of it. You'll still be on the hook for not paying taxes or your parking fines or whatever. And then you'll also get some nice contempt of court charges added as a bonus at the very least. So listen, folks, just pay your damn taxes already. Is our legal system perfect? Hardly, but at least it's a system. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearing house. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.